There are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders after a, an extremely dramatic game in South Bend. Andy, I think I'm still wrapping my head around that one. How about you? Yes, Dan, absolutely. I mean, uh, it was crazy to be down on the field. You know, I had it, it just, you know, some behind the scenes stuff. So obviously when you're writing a gamer as Dan was, uh, you, you're not, you're always preparing for whatever the result could be. You know, you're trying to get it done when the game ends. And so I know you, Dan, had uh, almost your story ready to go about Ohio State potentially losing that game, kind of had taken that angle and down on the field. You know, that's what I was expecting too, right? I was walking down, taking the elevator to the field, trying to get a good spot for post-game press conference with Ryan Day. And, you know, as I'm taking the field, it's Notre Dame getting the ball back for their last drive, or not their last drive, and ultimately ended up being, you know, the, the drive before Ohio State had its game-winning drive. And they convert that first down on a pass to open things. And, uh, you know, the crowd is going insane. The energy in the stadium, you could just feel. And, you know, I'm, there's some Notre Dame fans around me on the sidelines, too. You could just feel the expectation, kind of that look at each other like, you know, hey, we're about to pull this off, you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan. And then uh, just how quickly it turned, it was shocking. And how silent that side of the stadium felt because there were no Ohio State fans really on that side. That was the opposite end. And it was, I mean, it was just such a surreal moment and a college football game I was very excited to cover and be a part of because, you know, that's it's why you get into this profession in some ways is to be at games like that and environments like that that have endings like that. And uh, it was a very cool moment and uh, a situation where Ohio State sort of pulled a victory from the jaws of defeat there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I probably speak for... Most Ohio State fans here, but when Ohio State on its second to last drive got stuffed on third and one and fourth and one, like it looked like Ohio State was going to lose the game. Like you felt like that was their opportunity and they blew it and they were going to lose the game. And then Notre Dame again, they get a couple first downs on offense. So you're really thinking like this, this is not going to go Ohio State's way. And then, you know, I think really the play that kind of changed the game was first down. JT, it was kind of a you know Sam Hubbard Penn State esque play where he just blew the play up before you know Sam Hartman could even make a read in the backfield. He stops it for a five yard loss. That convinces Notre Dame to decide to pass on second down, and then JT makes the play again, breaking up the screen, stopping the clock, and that was really what allowed Ohio State the chance to get the ball back with enough time to make a drive. And then certainly on that final drive, we saw. You know, Kyle McCord, really a coming-of-age moment for Ohio State's new starting quarterback as he drove Ohio State down to the one-yard line, uh, was extremely clutch coming up with uh, a pair of third-down passes and a fourth-down pass to convert first downs. Uh, I think certainly uh, we talk about the young career of Kyle McCord. You look at that third and 19 throw to Emeka Buka to the one-yard line, you know, that is the best play we have seen Kyle McCord make to this point, and he made that play when Ohio State absolutely needed him most. And then, with one yard to go, three seconds left on the clock, only time for one more play, we saw Ohio State run the ball into the end zone for a game-winning touchdown by Chip Traynham. And that set off what certainly for me, I have been at Ohio State, I've been covering Ohio State since 
It's Ryan Day's first year at Ohio State. And I have never seen the kind of emotion that we saw from Ryan Day after that game. First, in his post-game interview with NBC, where he called out Lou Holtz's comments, made it very clear that he did not like the fact that his team has been questioned for its physicality and toughness, uh, said it's Ohio, Ohio against the world and it will always be Ohio against the world. And, you know, I think we kind of thought, oh, he's going to come into the press conference. He's had a few minutes to cool down and that'll kind of be that. And he'll get back to his more usual calm self. And no, he just kept going like he just kept going. He made it very clear he did not like what Lou Holtz had to say about his team, which if you've somehow been under a rock for the last week, uh, Lou Holtz was on the Pat McAfee show on Friday, and he uh, basically said that the reason he thought Notre Dame was going to win is because Ohio State hasn't been physical enough in big games. And he's not the first person to make that critique, but it was clearly the the tip of the iceberg, the thing that set Ryan Day over the edge. Not that Ohio State should have needed any more motivation for this game, but it clearly was extra motivation. It clearly was bulletin board material. I mean, even before the game, when Ryan Day was interviewed by NBC, he referenced those comments indirectly. So it was clear it was something that was on his mind all day Saturday going into that game. And Ultimately, he ended up getting the perfect moment to make a stand against it by running the ball into the end zone from the one yard line with Chip Traynham. Yeah, um, it was interesting to see him not only in that moment, like you said, afterward, uh, go straight to the Lou Holtz uh, comments, but how much he talked about it in the postgame presser. I think he he probably like it wasn't just a plurality of what it talked about. It was a majority. You know, I think he talked about those comments and what the impact of those and why it was important for Ohio State to show that it was physical, it was tough in this game um, more than he talked about anything else combined in his postgame presser, I think. To the point where he was about to walk off and he hadn't addressed Ohio State's defense at all. And so one of the reporters goes, Ryan, defense? And he goes, oh yeah, defense. And turns back around and gives a couple comments on their efforts. But yeah, I, I think this was an emotion that you liked to see from Ryan Day. I think seeing that energy, that passion from him on the sidelines was good and something that I'd asked him about this week about trying to strike that balance and learning some lessons against Georgia last year about showing that as opposed to his usual, you know, I think in past years we'd seen just a very poised, composed Ryan Day on the sidelines and, you know, learning that lesson against Georgia. I use all of that to preface, and this is just my two cents on the matter. I think he maybe put a little, if, if you know, what he said publicly is what he how he acted behind the scenes, how he actually approached the game. Who's to say, you know, how much of that is correlating. I think he maybe put a little too much stock into this. I just, it's good to use bulletin board material. I'm all for that. Motivate your team however you see fit. But you've got to come up with the game plan that's going to address best the team you're playing 
And I feel like there were some, maybe some situations where in this game where maybe a little too focused on proving that physicality, proving that toughness. And, and you know, you, you can also look back and say, well, yeah, they, they, they ran a fly sweep on fourth and short. We'll get to that later. But it, to me, I think there was just, a, it took a little bit it felt like there was a little too much focus on those comments and not as much focus on how do we best beat this Notre Dame team. And this is a huge top 10 road win for the program, which he did mention, but like there was, I I just think there was, and in the end, Lou Holtz is an 86 year old, former Notre Dame coach. He was on Pac McAfee's program. And what was a bit of a comedy segment, he's going to talk up the program. I think it was a little uncalled for to directly call out Ohio state's physicality like that. But you know, especially as Ryan pointed out last year, they out physical Notre Dame, just plain and simple in that one. I, I just, for me, I think, there was a little too much stock as much as I like seeing the energy, the passion from Ryan as much as even I didn't have a problem with him necessarily addressing the comments, you know, in general, I just think there was just how pervasive it was throughout his postgame stuff. If that's how it was behind the scenes, I, I, I just think there was a little too much focus placed on it. You know, a small critique, ultimately they won a top 10 game on the road. So you, you can't, you know, you can't say too much negative about this. Uh, there, there are things to get into later, but I, I just, for me, I would have liked to see a little less focus on that and not have it take you out of your rhythm as a coach and doing the things you do week to week. Yeah, I don't know that I came away from the game feeling like the game plan was too focused on trying to prove physicality. I mean, that wasn't something that I felt. Now, you know, if we're talking about critiques, it's also fair to say if Chip Trainum does not score on that play, everyone, the narrative would be Lou Holtz was right. Because, I mean, if you look at the overall numbers for this game, Ohio State was just two of six on third and fourth down with, with two yards or less to gain. Uh, they, they, until that play, a play in which Notre Dame had only 10 players on the field, it was not exactly a tour de force of physicality for Ohio State in this game. And so I think if, if you're going to look at it just from like a, practical sense of a football specific sense I think it's definitely fair to critique Ryan Day's comments and I and I also think like can we can we can we definitively come away from this game saying that Ohio State has proved its physicality and 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 toughness and that it's solved whatever problem it might have had in that regard in the past I don't think you can say that. That said, personally, I love Ryan Day's comments, and I, and I think it was great for Ryan Day that he took that approach because I think that's been a question that a lot of Ohio State fans have had about Ryan Day is, does he have that intense competitive fire that it takes to be an elite coach that maybe we've seen from an Urban Meyer or a Nick Saban or a Kirby Smart or a Dabo Sweeney. I don't, I never agreed with that criticism, but I think it's certainly been out there. And so I think for Ryan Day to take that approach, to show that fire, to relentlessly defend his team, number one, the the most important thing is I think his players loved it. And that's the most important thing, is I think 
it it those comments, whether they're something that Ryan A really should be caring about or not, it's clear they did galvanize his team. And I think for him to go up there and defend his team's physicality as fervently as he did, I think that's only going to be a good thing in Ohio State's locker room because they saw that their coach went to war to defend them. And so I think the way Ryan Day handled that, I think will be a good thing for Ryan Day. I mean, I've said it before when we talk about post game, you know, I think back to last year when everybody would always complain about things CJ Stroud would say after games. And I'm, I've always said, I want to hear more candid comments in post game pressers. I coach speak is boring. So more of this from Ryan Day, please. I want, I want, I want more of this. Like show, show that fire. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see, does this carry over now? Like now that Ryan Day has shown this new side of himself to the world, is, is this just going to be a one-off temporary thing? Or are we going to see more of that? I don't know, but I like, I like it. I like that we saw that side of Ryan Day. Uh, yeah, you hit on a lot of good points there, Dan. Uh, there's not a lot I, I disagree with, frankly. And, you know, I said it, you know, I said it before. I, I think this was great to see his energy and passion for it. Yeah, I just, I just think there was so much that he kept going back to it. And the presser was just kind of how it hit me the wrong way, you know, just like it was great to see it. For a couple of answers, he was asked about it directly. It was great to see it in the post-game interview with ESPN, and I'm sh- I think it probably got a lot of ri- Ohio State fans riled up to see Ryan saying Ohio against the world, and we f- we took this personal, you know. I I think that's something you want to see as a fan from your coach and defending his players. I a- again, for me, it's a small thing, and overall, I like that he addressed it and used it as bulletin board material, used it to motivate this th- his team. I just would have liked to seen a broad focus on what a win over Notre Dame meant for the program, I guess, is, is, is kind of where my head is at with it. But, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about those comments, about those things. Do Now, kind of moving on to the broader discussion, branching off of this, and you referenced it a little, Dan, is do we agree with Day when he says that physicality has only been an issue for this team for one half, two years ago, in Ann Arbor in 2021 when they played Michigan? Or is it a broader issue with some of these teams in the big games? You know, they're, they're going to beat up on the smaller opponents, but in the big games that they've lost, has there been an issue with physicality kind of generally with Ryan Day teams as, you know, Lou Holtz kind of said in his critiques? I think if we're just talking specific to physicality, and I, I think... If you, I think that really was the only game where it was really just a straight matter of Ohio State being straight out physical. It was that game in Michigan two years ago in the snow. I think it was clear in that game they got manhandled on both sides of a line of scrimmage, and that was why they lost that game. If you look back to last year's game against Michigan, Ohio State actually controlled the line of scrimmage. They just gave up way too many big plays on defense and didn't make enough plays on offense. And so I... I think it's fair to say that, you know, this idea that Ohio State always gets out physical in big games. Like, I don't think that that's accurate. I don't I don't think that that's, you know, a, a true assessment. I think it is reality that that's been the perception of this team. But I don't know that per- perception 
is necessarily reality in that case. I do think, though, just in terms of making that comment, like, because if, if we peel this back here again and look at the bigger picture, yes, Ryan Day was directing his comments toward Lou Holtz. This is something that's been bubbling up inside Ryan Day. I don't think it was Ryan Day had never heard anyone question his physicality until last Friday, and then Lou Holtz just set something off in him. I think Lou Holtz just set him to a boiling point because this, you talk about that Michigan game in 2021. He has heard that criticism ever since that game. That criticism only doubled last year when Ohio State lost to Michigan again. And so, you know, I know I saw a, a Michigan writer write about this for The Athletic, and I'm not sure what, you know, the Ohio State fan base's perspective was on that article, but I thought that he made a lot of good points that, like, what Ryan Day was saying after that game, yeah, it was directed at Lou Holtz, but it was really about Michigan. And the only way that you can truly change that perception is to go out and beat Michigan this year. And so I think this is a great step in the right direction to to win this game for Ohio State to be able to make these statements after that win but now you got to go back it up and the the time that you really got to back it up is that last game of a regular season in Ann Arbor yeah piggybacking off of that it's different you know when you see what we see every day covering the team, right? When you're always talking to guys, when you're always hearing from coaches, it's different for us than it is from a fan perspective. And it's, I think it's different for anyone that's truly vested when you're t- talking about versus the general population, right? And the physicality question has been something that Days fielded even from media members, you know, on the beat. Is this an issue for the team? Do you see it as an issue? What's, you know, it, it's a question he's heard from Ohio State's media. It's a question that, yes, has, I think, been a major national storyline about his program since that loss in Ann Arbor two years ago. And like you said, the only way to truly beat the notion, fair or not, is to go to Ann Arbor and win this year in kind of what would be a reversal of fortune, right? If you talk about a road game in Michigan creating the narrative, that's the way to eliminate the narrative is to win a road game in Michigan. On the flip side of that, I think you also have to maintain confidence in your program, in what you know you bring to the table. Because when you get down to the nuts and bolts of Ohio State's losses over the last few years, I, again, like you said, I I think that 2021 Michigan game is the only one where you can point to it and say physicality was perhaps the number one reason why you lost, you know, a team beating you at the line of scrimmage. Ohio State's shown toughness in certain games, right? When you talk about staying in the fight with Georgia last year and bouncing back, when you talk about beating Utah and in the Rose Bowl after that 2021 loss to Michigan, I think in terms of mental fortitude and the ability to bounce back from low moments as they showed Saturday when you, they were not having their best performance. Ohio state was certainly not firing on all cylinders against Notre Dame in this game. They were getting worn down in the second half. They had the mental toughness to bounce back. And so to, to, to question the physicality and the toughness for in particular, the toughness of this team, program under Ryan Day, I think is an unfair criticism when you look at the nuts and bolts of how these games have been lost. And like you said, against Michigan, they weren't getting beaten up 
at the point of attack in this in that game last year. I think you know Donovan Edwards breaks off two seventy five yard t- touchdown runs at the end of seventy five. I think one was seventy five, one was eighty five. Two very long touchdown runs at the end of that game, and you look at that and say, well, you know those are running plays, and you usually associate the run with physicality. Michigan did have one long thirteen play touchdown drive in that game as well, but on the whole, those were two pretty evenly matched teams physically. And it was a handful of big plays that swung the game for Michigan, and then it kind of got out of hand from there. I I really think that's the story of Day's losses to me have been more so these matchup games where one or two plays dictate things, swing things, whether that's Marvin getting injured and getting out of the game and then Lance and Ransom slipping and Georgia goes for a long touchdown and all of a sudden they're back in that game last year. Or as we were just saying with Michigan last year, you have those uh, key big plays that you give up. You don't get enough big plays on offense. You look back even you know to 2019 with Clemson and it was the targeting against Sean Wade that gave them a first down when they would have had to punt and you lost one of your key defenders early in that game or the overturned fumble. It's just like a, a a number of key plays in matchup games. And I think that's just more so football than any inherent issues with physicality or toughness in Ryan Day's program. Yeah. I mean, I think physicality and toughness, we talk about those words, they kind of convenient cliches a lot of times for trying to like explain what's wrong with a team. And I I think a lot of times those are words that don't really mean a whole lot. They're just kind of convenient ways to try to explain something away. Like, end of the day, like when we're talking about how are college football programs, like these are physically tough dudes. Like you don't get to that level if you're not a physically tough dude. And so, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, again, I think it's, if you're going to point specifically to that Michigan game in 2021, it's fair to say like, yeah, they just got out physical in that game. I think otherwise you got to look deeper into scheme issues, execution issues. You know, that's usually what it boils down to now. If we want to just go specific to this game, I, I certainly think if we're just going to stay in that vein of toughness and mental fortitude, I think there's, we can certainly look at a couple of things from this game and point to those as examples of that. I mean, the first one is Marvin Harrison Jr., who, I mean, we, nobody should ever have been questioned his toughness after what we heard from him last week, that he played almost the entire 2022 season on a sprained ankle. And then as luck would have it, on Saturday night, his ankle gets hurt again on Travion Henderson's touchdown run. A defender gets blocked into his ankle. And at first, like, it looked serious. Like, he had to be helped off a field, and you're thinking, oh, no, like, did, did, did we just see Jackson Smith and Jigball all over again from last year's Notre Dame game with Ohio State star wide receiver uh, suffering a major injury? And fortunately, Marv was able to return to the game. And now... I don't think Marv was 100%. I know, you know, somebody took a picture of it. He has, you know, a lot of ice on his ankle after the game. So I think he suffered a legitimate injury, but it didn't keep him from playing and it it didn't even keep him from being effective. I mean, literally on his first playback in the game, he caught a pass. He also made a key catch on uh, the drive late in the game. Now, it was not Marv's most productive game, but just the fact that he kept going out there, you know, Ryan Day acknowledged it in his post-game press conference. That made a difference because the defense has to account for him. And just watching him, there was really no sign of him not being 100%. And so I don't think he was. But 
he he didn't show it. And so, I mean, I think that tells you, you know, that in combination of what we saw from Marv last year, uh, that, that tells you just how superhuman this guy is, uh, you know, both, you know, and just in terms of ridiculous talent, I mean, the thing that struck me after talking to Marv last Wednesday, and he said that his right ankle was sprained for most of last season, is then I went back and looked at uh, the iconic photo by our own Garrick Hodge of his ridiculous catch against Indiana last year, and he used his right ankle to stay in bounds and make the catch of the year, an ankle that was sprained, he somehow used it to make one of the most ridiculous catches I've ever seen. And so uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a special player. And even though he didn't have a big night in terms of production against Notre Dame, I, I think we saw yet another example of, of what makes him so special, both in terms of his talent and in terms of how tough and how determined he is. Yeah, Notre Dame certainly, I feel like, treated him schematically as if he was still 100%. I think there was still plenty of coverages sliding his way, plenty of brackets happening after he returned to the game. Um, and I think part of that also had to do with his ability to come back in and make a reception on his first play back. And uh, you talk about the toughness to do that. And to me, look, I mean, we're never going to be attuned to conversations that happen with training staffs. But when he came out of the medical tent with a mile thick layer of tape on his ankle. Uh, you saw them take his helmet away at first and he goes through sprints and asks for it back and they don't give it to him. And then after that, it was like he wore him down and pestered him like, no, I'm getting back in this game and got his helmet back. And again, I'm not going to pretend to know that's exactly how it went down. I'm just reporting what I saw from the press box, looking down at the sideline and the interactions we saw happening. That diving catch he made on the final drive, he only had three receptions in this game. That was a huge play. Gave them an early, gave them a first down on that key final drive. And I think also opened a lot of space up for other guys that were made part of that final drive. Julian Fleming was single covered over the middle on fourth and seven, a play that if Ohio State doesn't get a first down on, they just they just lose single covered over the middle. And I don't think that is the case if you don't have Marvin and perhaps also Emeka Igbuka on the field attracting all that attention because, you know, fourth and seven or less, fourth and, you know, anything really under 10, the middle of the field is kind of going to be the first place you look as a quarterback. So I think that was also a well-designed play to create space for Julian in that situation and maybe go to a guy that the defense wasn't as keyed in on. And that's only possible because Marvin toughed it out, played through that ankle. And uh, you talk about good timing with the bye week. A lot of times it's it's tough to have it this early in the season, especially with how rigorous Ohio State's schedule gets down the stretch when they have to play Penn State, when they have to play Michigan. But there's, you know, this is good to have the week off for Marvin to hopefully heal that ankle as much as he can uh, and and then be as healthy as possible for the rest of the year. You mentioned Emeka Buka. I think he showed why he might be the second best receiver in college football after Marv, you know, particularly if his plays on that final drive. Uh, he, he was fantastic. And I don't think they win this game without Emeka Buka. Uh, I also think Kate Stover was fantastic in this game. I think he had his best game as a Buckeye, uh, not just as a receiver. Uh, he had a career high seven catches. And if you look at Kate Stover's stats right now, if, if he, you know, it's early in the year, you know, he was on a great pace last year too and slowed down a little bit. So he could slow down. But if you look at his stats right now, 
he, he's on pace to where he could theoretically have the best receiving season an Ohio State tight end has ever had. I'm not predicting that will happen because it's very early in the year, but uh, the kind of production he's putting up as a receiving receiver right now, you know, it, you know that whole narrative that, that lasted for years about Ohio State not throwing to the tight end, he has single-handedly destroyed that because he, he has become a real focal point in this offense uh, as a receiver. And then I thought as a blocker, you know, I, I, I think Cade is someone who um, we, we've kind of seen as more of a flashy blocker rather than a consistent blocker over the course of his tight end career at Ohio State. I think you see him make some good plays. You also seen some some blown plays from him. But I thought on Saturday uh, he was fantastic. I, I thought he was uh, consistently making a lot of great blocks in addition to making a lot of great plays as a receiver. And so I think, uh, you know, Emeka Abuka, Cade Stover were two guys who certainly stepped up in a big way for Ohio State in this game. And then, of course, Kyle McCourt, who was far from perfect uh, against Notre Dame. But with the game on the line, he made the plays Ohio State needed him to make to win the game. He was particularly great on this game on, on crucial downs. I believe he was 11 of 15 on third and fourth downs in this game. And I, I think certainly you come out of this game now feeling more confident in Kyle McCord just based on the way he played on that final drive of the game because that was a big question. I mean, that was a big question going into this game is if the game came down to Kyle McCord needing to make plays, would he be able to do it? And he proved that he could. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned this throw earlier, but the, the throw to Emeka on third and 19 to convert that first down. I mean, I, I've been saying all offseason, telling uh, my friends who ask me questions about the team, you know, sometimes like the kid's got a cannon. Uh, he zipped that ball in there uh, and it was a great spot because if he leads Emeka on that throw, I think the safety probably breaks it up. I mean, um, three defenders were around Emeka. He kind of put it in the window right where it needed to be to where he not only stopped Emeka, but he had had to reach back a little bit uh, to catch that football and it was thrown with such a zip that the defense really didn't have time to adjust to make a play on the ball but again not only that I mentioned the throw to Julian Fleming earlier I don't know if that was his first read on the play regardless of if it was or not I think that was a, it's a huge credit to him because that's what the defense gave him on that play that was I think the best spot he could have gone with that football in that situation and to show that poise that confidence the command of the offense he had down the stretch of this game when it mattered most that final drive you need 65 yards in a minute 26 with one timeout to get a win on the road I think you can critique certain parts of McCord's performance you cannot critique his clutch gene to you know borrow a phrase from some video games in this performance he showed that he's got the moxie whatever you want to call it to deliver when the team needs it in those moments. So uh, that's, and that's just something you want from your quarterback, right? You want a guy who's the guy who could take command of the huddle when the game is on the line. And that's exactly what McCord did back to Stover. Uh, yes. The, you mentioned record breaking pace right now. If Ohio State plays 13 games, which they'll certainly play that many, I assume they're going to win at least two more and make a bowl game. That's I think that's a fair assumption uh, with, with Ohio State right now. You would think. You would think, right? 
So assuming he plays at least 13 games, this his current pace would put him at 780 yards receiving for the year, which would be a record by over 100 set by Billy Anders in 1966. No relation, I promise. And yeah, do we it's know just, this? Do we know this or do we need to do the genealogy? We might have to, honestly. I, I guess maybe I do have some distant great great uncle named Billy um, or something like that in the, in the family, the old Anders family tree. He's been a safety valve for McCord through these first four weeks. And I think as we've seen McCord evolve, because I do think, you know, Western Kentucky is probably his best overall performance per se, but you know, Notre Dame, he showed that clutch gene, as we were saying, as it's evolved, I think it's been more rhythm throws that we've seen McCord go to Stover with a change of pace for defenses, kind of keeping them off balance by continuing to incorporate Stover. Whereas I think against Indiana, it was Stover was the primary target because tight end closest to the quarterback, new quarterback, etc. So I think it's honestly been an evolution of how McCord's gotten him the ball as well. Of course, Stover also had a spectacular play in this game when, you know, a McCord was kind of throwing a ball out of desperation on a third down, got it batted and Stover just pulled it out of a pile and almost ran it for a touchdown if his knee wasn't down uh, as he was catching the ball. It was very close to not being so, but he, uh, yeah, I mean, Stover showed he can make some really strong contested catches now too. I think that's been a bigger part of his game maybe than it was last year. And he's always had the athleticism to get open. So yeah, he's, he's a huge compliment and a safety valve for McCord when he cannot get the ball to Marvin or a Mecca on a play. I will, I will say going back to McCord, you know, it, it, there is a, another example of how just one play going one way or the other can kind of change the narratives of his game. Cause he did almost throw an interception on the final drive. And let's just be honest. If, if he gets picked off of that pass, the narrative about Kyle McCord is completely different than it is right now. And that's, that's not to take away from, the, the great plays he made on that drive. And I think the the good thing you saw from that is he made a mistake, but he didn't get flustered by it. He he's, he stayed in the game and, and he bounced back from it and he made the plays he needed to make. And so I think that's a very good thing to see from Kyle is that it wasn't a perfect game, but when when things didn't go well, he didn't allow mistakes to compound upon themselves and and for him to get flustered, he kept bouncing back and making plays. And so I think that is a very uh, positive thing to see from McCord. And I think, you know, without a doubt, you know, we, we talked about it like last week, like really ended the quarterback competition, but like now, like now it's Kyle McCord's team. You know, I think now you feel that like, you know, he started the year as the first quarterback in the game. Now I think he comes out of the first month as, the guy and this is his team and the team is around him he still needs to continue to improve because you know realistically like in my mind at least not yet like he's not cj stroud he's not justin fields and that is one reason why this ohio state offense is not putting up the kind of numbers that it has in past years and so you know i i, I think you know, we've seen enough now of Kyle McCord through one month to feel good about like he's good enough to to for this team to achieve its goals. But you still need to see more from him. Certainly, I think that also applies to the offensive line, you know, and I, I, I kind of made that point 
to someone in the press box during a game is when you don't have C.J. Stroud and you don't have Paris Johnson and you don't have Dewan Jones anymore, your margin for error offensively shrinks a lot. And I think, I think we saw that against Notre Dame. I think we've seen that throughout the first month of the season. And certainly, if, if you're looking for a specific area to critique, even with the way the game ended, you, you still got to go back to those short yardage plays because it, it's been a recurring problem for this team. Again, if, if JT Tuomoloau doesn't make a great play to break up a screen pass, on Notre Dame's last drive, Notre Dame probably gets a first down. The game is over. And the number one thing we're going to be talking about after that game is what happened on the previous drive when Ohio State had third and one and fourth and one and couldn't get a yard. You know, we're going to, we're going to go back to earlier in the game when Ohio State had third and goal up a one and fourth and goal up a one and couldn't get a yard. And so, you know, Ryan Day said it after game, like, those weren't good. Those were unacceptable. So that's still, I'm sure, this week during the bye week, a, a, a priority A1 for this team is figuring out what is going wrong in those short yardage situations. And again, that's where I go back to now. It's not simply physicality. It's not simply toughness. It's scheme and execution. And like I, lo- I, I, do, I look at those two fourth down plays and I put those on play calling. And I, you know, people who listen to the show for a while know I'm not usually the guy who's going to sit here and like critique the play calling because I'd be a terrible offensive coordinator. So, uh, you know, I don't have all the answers there. But, you know, I, I do look at those two failed fourth down plays. The first one, fourth and goal, they have three tight ends in the game and they pass the ball from a one yard line. Like to me, that is overthinking. Like, if you're going to pass the ball in that situation, have Marvin Harrison Jr. on the field. And this was before Marv got hurt. Have Marvin Harrison Jr. on the field. At least have a Mecca book on the field. I think putting three tight ends in the game to pass the ball, I understand they're trying to bait Notre Dame into going all out on the run and get a guy open. But that's just, it's, 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 over, it's overthinking it. If you're going to pass the ball in that situation, at the very least, you got to have the best wide receiver on, on the field. Uh, and then, you know, the fourth and one later in the game, it's fourth and inches, and I think this is where, if they don't win this game, people are going to be looking at questioning that physicality, questioning that toughness. Is you needed less than a yard to convert fourth down, and you give the ball to a Mecca Buka to run wide to the boundary instead of just going straight on and trying to get that yard. And so those are those are the two plays when I when I went back and rewatched the game afterwards. Those are the two that really made me shake my head. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, and I, I do want to talk more specifically on those plays. First off, with the, you know the the, the fourth and goal pass uh, from the one yard line, three tight ends on the field. It was a very similar look to what Ohio State showed against Indiana uh, when it was a fourth and one they were going for, and Kyle McCord threw an interception. If if people remember that play. Uh, Chip Trayanum gets taken out on the play, probably would have been open. And then Kyle throws back against the grain, trying to make a play. You know, it's fourth down, whatever, whatever. But it was, you had already shown that play on film. And that, I think, really 
play action on the goal line from the one in that situation with three tight ends and chip tray as maybe your best receiving option other than Kate Stover on the field in that situation only works if you have the element of surprise to me. I think that to me has been one of the issues that I've had with days play calling this year is sometimes it's predictably unpredictable. If that makes sense, like traditionally you wouldn't expect a fourth and goal from the one play to be a play action pass. But because days had that tendency, because you don't normally expect that in the past to run a play action there, you expect, you almost expect him to run the play action. So I, and if you again, look at that play, it was Chip Traiano who was the first read. Chip got picked up immediately by a linebacker and Kyle came off of it and then he rolls into the boundary and he just doesn't have any space to work because no one else was in pattern on that side of the football. All the tight ends were on the opposite side because they were really setting it up for Chip. The same, again, look they showed against Indiana on that play. And you... You know, he almost McCord almost made a great play on it, honestly, to extend it. And he had a small window to throw it to Stover and he could have maybe zipped it in there. But then it gets tipped and, you know, they turn it over on downs before the fourth and one play. The handoff to a Mecca on the fly on the sweep. He it was a fullback dive with Travion Henderson. Right. And third and one Ohio State knows they're going to have fourth and one as well. I think that that's a play again where if you were going to run the fly sweep with a Mecca, it should have been on that play. And then you still have the fourth and one chance if you don't get it with a trickier look that I think, again, would have been more unexpected on third down because Ryan, again, I think on those fourth down plays does something a little more tricky trying to do it schematically where I think you. I, I would like to see him invert it from time to time. Is like do the physical thing when you have the musket yard, and do the tricky schematic thing and down earlier, right? So, also though, you can talk about play calling, but you can also talk about execution with that because I think Ohio State should be able to get a yard on a quick hitting fullback dive to Travion Henderson on third and one of the play before. Um, Emeka was stopped short and they didn't get there. So do they have, you know, it's, it's not physicality. Do I think the offensive linemen have the mentality under the way Justin Fry coaches to go out there and give everything they have to push for that yard? I do, but they aren't showing to be capable necessarily in all those situations yet. Not sure it's a talent thing per se, because you do have, you know, Donovan Jackson, who should be an All-American guard. Matthew Jones, who's been proven in the past. I think Carson Hensman has a good ceiling at center. But they aren't executing. They aren't executing in those situations. So it also comes on to that a little bit, I will say. But also, yeah, I didn't like the play call to Emeka on the fourth. And, you know, you needed a foot there. Why can't they run a quarterback sneak? Do they just not trust McCord in that situation? And Do they not trust Hensman in that situation? I don't know. Is there something more to it? Also, run that play to the sideline. Why run it into the boundary? Give Emeka more space when he only has to cut up and dive forward. That's all you need for a first down calling that play. He cuts up, he dives forward. He got no room to do that. He would have had more of a chance to, I think, if you run it to the wide side of the field. And you can stack into the boundary, maybe to try and get the strength of the defense that way and pull them over. So I, 
yeah, I, I think there's a lot to critique in terms of the play calling in those sort short yardage areas. And also, though, execution could have been better, particularly, I think, on that third and one play before they had to before they called the sweep to Ibuka. You mentioned Ryan Day in his post-game press conference almost going the whole time without talking about defense. We're getting dangerously close to doing the same thing. So let's talk a little bit about the defense because on one hand, I, I think you you come out of a game, you held Notre Dame to 14 points. I think you feel pretty good about that. I mean, I, I, I know in our staff score predictions, I think everybody had Notre Dame scoring in the 20s. So for Ohio State to hold Notre Dame to only 14 points, uh, you got to feel pretty good about that. I mean, to just look at the first month of a season as a whole, Ohio State is allowed only 34 points. That's the second fewest in the entire FBS behind only Michigan. And so uh, for, you know, you just look at the overall numbers for this Ohio State's defense. Uh, I, I think you can look at it and say it's been fantastic so far this season. I also think based on actually watching that game, I don't think either of us came away wowed by Ohio State's defense uh, against Notre Dame. And I think, uh, you know, I think in particular, I think one thing we saw in this game was it felt like Ohio State was very vulnerable to the underneath passes. It, it, it feels like Jim Knowles has corrected in a big way from last year to try not to allow the big plays over the top. But you watch Saturday's game and you start to wonder. Did he overcorrect a little bit? Um, you know, I don't know that I would say that because they only gave up 14 points. I mean, so far, uh, the defense performance has been excellent in terms of overall limiting production from the opponents. And so I would say, all in all, I think the schematic changes Jim Knowles has made have been a positive. With that being said, I think we've seen the defense just look a little bit more vulnerable with each week. Some of that has had to do with the fact that they've faced better competition as the season has gone along. I think the question is, will the defense... I mean, I think you go into the next game, Maryland, you could say that might be the best offense Ohio State has faced this year. So are we going to continue to see the defense look a little bit more vulnerable to where things aren't going as well as they are right now? if Jim Knowles doesn't correct a little bit the other way. It's an interesting discussion to be had. From my angle, I think Ohio State's secondary has really proven itself these first four weeks. Lathan Ransom had an awesome game uh, against Notre Dame, and I think he honestly was kind of one of the lingering questions. We hadn't seen that performance from him yet that I still had about this secondary, but man, 13 tackles. Um, no one else on either team had more than eight really proved, you know, he showed a lot of that in the box ability last year, but this year, you know, the, he's been limiting passes over the top in tandem with Josh Proctor. Um, Notre Dame didn't gash them with any big downfield throws. Really, when you look at, you know, they had three passes that went for longer than 20 yards, none that went longer than 30. Two of those, I believe, were a catch and run, and one was a spectacular catch by their tight end. So it's it's not a 
it's not a situation where the safeties are getting beat right now uh, downfield. The Denzel Burke continues to look like an All-American. We talked about it in the press box. It felt like Notre Dame wasn't even throwing to his side of the field of this game. He didn't They're make really any play. He didn't make any plays, but it's because he didn't wasn't getting targeted like at all. And so you have him. He's just been as locked down as locked down can be these first four weeks. And Davis and Igbenosin, I thought, despite a penalty or two, looked continues to look better with each week. Um, he had some great coverages in this game, really in phase with guys pre- preventing throws. So I honestly think the secondary is the caliber now proven out. They can afford to be a little more aggressive, play more press coverage, and try and take away some of those underneath throws, at least until a team shows you again that there are holes in the big play department with this defense because they haven't shown that yet, especially against the pass. Now, where I get to, uh, I think the D-line needs to step up a little bit. That's where I think the kind of the lack of symmetry in terms of when you talk about, you know, they're get, not giving up as many big plays but, as anymore, but they are getting driven on. One thing I'll say about 14 points in this game before I continue to, I think in some ways that can be a, t- a little bit misleading when you look at, first of all, you know, Notre Dame gained a ton of yards in the first half. I don't think you can rely every game on, you know, multiple fourth and one stops and a missed field goal to post a first half shutout. And then at the end of the game, they had a 13 play drive and 11 play drive that ate up almost 15 minutes of clock combined. Like your offense isn't on the field. Maybe, you know, Notre Dame, they get two touchdowns. They get their 14 points on that drive that they took so much air out of the football. It's almost like scoring more points because you're taking potential points away from the opposing offense. So, I think that's a, another thing I would say. The D-line, when you're playing more conservative, as Knowles has this year in terms of not blitzing as much, doing a little more base defense perhaps, having a little more soft coverage mixed in, the D-line for you to get stops quicker needs to step up and make plays, needs to get more tackles for loss, needs to get more sacks, needs to create more havoc. Some of it schematically maybe has been taken out in terms of pinning their ears back. But I also think, you know, it's it's still four weeks into the season, Dan, and none of the top four defensive ends have a sack. Like, at what point, and I know they were playing an All-American and Joe Ald at left tackle and a potential All-American and Blake Fisher at right. But these are two five-star recruits leading the charge for Ohio State in their third years in the program. At what point do we start to look at this is a real problem that they aren't generating those? And, you know, they had pressures against Western Kentucky, but really it felt like Sam Hartman could have pitched a tent some po- at some points in this game. Yeah, I mean, zero sacks. For JT Tuomola and Jack Sawyer in four games is not good enough. I don't. I don't think that's a statement that needs to be qualified. I think. I think that can be said as fact. Zero sacks in four games for JT Tuomola and Jack Sawyer is not good enough. That's not to say that they're playing badly necessarily. Because I do. Fa- I mean, again, like if JT Tuomola doesn't make those two plays in a row um, on Notre Dame's last drive, Ohio State doesn't win this game. So give JT credit for that. I think you know we've seen the last couple of weeks. We've seen. You know, Jack generates some pressure at times, but it hasn't been consistently enough and they're not finishing enough plays. You know, I mean, we, again, we saw JT do it on those two plays there, but if you look the rest of a game, can you point out, a? I mean, I, I think on the first drive, I think Jack, he, he had it, it almost could have been a pick six. He knocked down a pass. 
uh, behind the line of scrimmage of a good rush. Outside of those plays, they were mostly non-factors in this game. And like you said, that had something to do with the fact they were going up against one of maybe even the best offensive tackle tandems in the country. And so that had something to do with that, and, and that should be recognized. But I do think it's fair to say that they need more out of JT Tuomolowau and Jack Sawyer, especially if you're going to use them the way you utilize them in this game, where both of those guys literally played every single play of the game. If you're going to do that, you need more production out of them. And I, I think it's a little bit striking, too, just watching this game. Javante Jean-Baptiste did not play like that in five years at Ohio State. He, the game, I mean, Javante Jean Baptiste was one of the best players on the field for Notre Dame, and we never saw him play like that at Ohio State. So I think it's a little bit striking that the guy who transferred to Notre Dame because he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time at Ohio State was the best defensive lineman on the field in this game. It is. And, uh, you know, you can, you can interpret that however you want to listener. I, um, look, it's just not, the production hasn't been there and the D tackles got worn down in this game too. And they were rotating, you know, we saw a pretty even mix. It felt of Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton in this game. And I, I think also something that popped up as this game progressed is the lack of a pure one tech nose tackle for this team right now. All those guys are naturally threes. They are. Uh, Mike Hall, easily with his athleticism and the kind of explosive nature. Tyleek, you know, only seems comfortable at the three. And Ty, I think, has some good strength, some good stoutness to him. But he's, again, it's just his body is more for the three tech. And you need that guy who's going to eat blocks against a run-heavy team like this. And when can this pop up again? It's Michigan. It's the game everyone, is, you know, is... That's where the gaze is set this year. It's been all off season. Can Ohio State write the ship right? Well, this is this is why it's important is because the next I don't think Ohio State's going to play a team that can run the ball like this again until they play Michigan. This was a big physical test for your front seven. They passed for a lot of the game. There were some good plays made against the run in this game. I don't want to say there weren't, but they got beaten up a little bit. And then once Notre Dame, I think they were their most run heavy on those two drives that were their touchdown drives. Once Notre Dame really centered in on the run and focused in on wearing on the defense and beating up that interior, uh, the interior of it is when they found their most success. And so I still have questions about the long-term viability of Ohio State's interior run defense, in addition to the pass rush, as we just talked about, coming out of this game. So I do think there's work to do on this defensive line, first and foremost, defensively. Yeah, I mean, I want to say, like, I mean, I think Tyleek Williams was great again. I think Tyleek Williams has been one of Ohio State's best players this year. I know we're going to update our Buckeye 20 rankings later this week, and I think... Uh, based on the ballots I've received so far, that he's going to be very high in those rankings and deservedly so, because I think he's been excellent. Like you said, he's a free tech, and, and I, I do think that's a fair assessment, and I don't know if they have that real true run-stopping nose tackle. You know, I, I wonder a little bit, like, did they think, like, Taiwan Malone was going to come in and be that guy, and they just haven't seen enough there for him to be that guy you know they have some guys in the pipeline like hero canoe caden mcdonald who could maybe fit that kind of role in the future but maybe they're not ready to play that kind of role yet and you know 
I think we'd both agree their best two defensive tackles are Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall. And so you want to get those guys on the field together a lot. Is it necessarily a perfect fit schematically? Maybe not. I, I think, you know, that's a fair question. I, another thing that I, I wanted to touch on schematically with the defense, and I've talked about this a couple times before. And we have yet to see it come to fruition. But one thing I thought about, especially after rewatching this game, is the idea I've brought up before where I think at times Ohio State should be using Sonny Styles at linebacker because they got gashed by the tight end this whole game. And a lot of that was they got Steel Chambers covered. And we, and we praised Steel Chambers' coverage last week. I think Steel Chambers is a good player. I do not think Steel Chambers had a good game against Notre Dame. And I think part of that was because he was put into a matchup that did not utilize his strengths. And I, I say this because if you look at a guy on the team who should be built to stop those plays that Mitchell Evans was making against them, it's Sonny Styles. Yet on most of those plays, he wasn't on the field because they had Jordan Hancock out there, which I think makes sense when you're going against a spread set. But I, I personally think that they should be looking for a way to keep Sonny on the field when they're putting Jordan out there. Because I think if you, if you keep Sonny on the field, he gives you another coverage guy. And I think he gives you probably the best guy on this team to cover those tight ends man-to-man. But I don't know if the way that they're utilizing him right now is allowing him to to play to that ability in coverage situations. No, I agree with you. I, I think that'd be an interesting change up. And I, I do think, you know, you're seeing plenty of Sonny in the box uh, because, you know, just natural to his, the nickel position, he's been playing for this defense and he's shown great viability against the run. I mean, his physicality is one of his biggest strengths. He had, I mean, he was the one who created the fourth and one stop on the quarterback sneaker Hartman, really reading the play, seeing it flow outside and then delivering a big straight up hit in combination with ransom. But, um, he's got the strength. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism to be strong enough in the box that, yeah, against a team like this that's going to throw to the tight end, he could be a good solution. And then maybe you also put Jordan Hancock on the field in a, a traditional four-two-five look. Now, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd have to learn Sam pretty quickly, but I think that that would be a good consideration uh, in terms of matching personnel if a team is going to attack heavily in the passing game with the tight end. And even you could do more of a traditional 4-3 look, I think, that involves Steel Chambers at, you know, still on the field and Sonny Styles in a more standard linebacker role, kind of in, in that same vein. Now, kind of moving on here. Um, so I think it's probably a good place where we're at in sort of the time of the of the show to, to look back a little bit on just how generally our biggest takeaways from the first month of this season, you know, it's the off week coming up, Dan, we've got a lot of information coming out of these games. So for you, are you more or less confident in Ohio state being able to achieve its goals for the rest of this season than you were coming out of fall camp? I mean, it's kind of a hedge, but I'm honestly kind of about the same. I mean, I don't, 
necessarily think that the things that we thought were going to be concerns for this team have been solved. If we're talking about offensive line, I mean, I think the good news is, I mean, I do think Kyle McCord has established himself as that QB one, but it's also, I mean, you just got to look at the numbers. This offense has not been as explosive as it's been in past years. And so I still have that question about whether this offense can get back to where we're accustomed to seeing it under Ryan day, because I mean, it, it looked great against Western Kentucky, but that's one game out of four. And so I think, I still think for this team to achieve its potential, there, we need to see more out of this offense than what we've seen so far. I think defensively, I've been impressed, but we talked about it before the season. I expected to be impressed. And so there's not anything from this defense that I've seen so far that has shocked me. I mean, I think it's kind of. A, you know, I mean, I'd say I would not have guessed that they would give up only 34 points in four games. So I will give them definite credit on that. But I also don't come out of the first month feeling like this was unexpected for the defense. I feel like I'm kind of seeing what I thought we could see from the defense. And I feel like offensively, I'm still seeing some of the question marks that I had going into the year. And so I don't think my expectations for this team have really changed at all after one game. I mean, if Ohio State had lost to Notre Dame, we'd be sitting here in a different situation right now, but they made that one play they needed to make and they won the game. And so, you know, I went into the year saying I thought Ohio State would go 11 and one, and I'm going to stick with that and say, I think Ohio State's going to go 11 and one. I think, you know, they've got two really tough games on the schedule in Penn State and Michigan. I think Wisconsin is not as intimidating as I thought they'd might be going into the year. Although I still look at that as a trap game as a road game one week after Penn state. But, you know, I think you, you kind of look at this season and it, it, it kind of breaks up nicely where I feel like you kind of have that one game in each month. That's going to be kind of a defining game for this team. Notre Dame was September. We got Penn state in October. We got Michigan in November. I think those three games probably are going to define this season. Ohio State barely passed the first test. I think tests two and three are going to be even tougher than test one. And so I think you look at a bye week this week, you look at three more weeks till Penn State. I think this team needs to continue to get better to feel good about its chances to beat Penn State. But I think it's capable. I think you see all the elements on this team for it to be capable of achieving anything this year. But I also think there's still some definite flaws that need to be improved upon if Ohio State is going to achieve its goals. Yeah, I not to puppet that or uh, again, like you said, hedge. But yes, I, I think my expectations are the same uh, as they were coming out of fall camp. And it's because I think the season has kind of played out how I expected it to, to this point, A and B. I think that, you know, what I was saying coming out of fall camp, and I think you and I were both in, in kind of similar veins with this team, is that they have the ceiling, they have the talent to be the best in the country. They have the way they've stacked recruiting classes, the talent they have on defense, even with, you know, expecting the offense to take a, a step back with you know, McCord as opposed to Stroud and unproven guys on the offensive line, you 
the expectation for me was this is a team that can ramp into a national title contender or even, you know, win that national championship finally, right? And right the wrong against Michigan and do everything they want to do. I still am there. And the one thing that's changed for me is I think the defense is mostly proven now. Even again, they had those struggles down the stretch. Even again, I still haven't seen what I want to from the defensive line. I, I just there's this confidence about them. I think they're going to get there. Uh, I think the defense is going to keep them competitive in these games. My question is still the offensive line. Every week on the podcast, we've been saying it. I but it, it still rings true. Are they going to develop the consistency to? get this offense to a place that you expect it to be under Ryan Day. They have shown glimpses week in, week out. I think there were still places in this game they run, they ran the ball pretty well. They got some things done. They gave McCord time to throw. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm I'm not I don't think I came out of this game and said, oh, the offensive line played awful. They had they were just okay, you know, to me. And I think also, you know, Kyle McCord is still settling into his role, still finding the maximum of what he can be, his ceiling, because there were ups and downs for him in this game, but he showed you he is the guy. He has taken control of this offense, and he has the leadership and the mentality and the poise to deliver when he needed to down the stretch, as we talked about. So really, I think my expectations my expectations were sky high entering the season for Ohio state in terms of what they could become. And I think for me, the floor that ceiling has stayed the same. And I think I'm more confident in that ceiling. Now the expectation hasn't changed. My floor has raised a little bit because obviously, like you said, they're through the first big test September. And I do think it's interesting how the season works in terms of ramps, right? Cause you got that first three week ramp in the Notre Dame did what you needed to there. Now you get a three week ramp with the off week and two, you know, Maryland at Purdue into that Penn state game. And it'll be interesting to see the strides Ohio state takes through these next three weeks in preparation for that showdown with Penn state later in October. As for things that maybe we didn't expect, Andy, what for you is the biggest surprise of Ohio State's first month of a season? And what for you is the biggest disappointment? Biggest surprise, I would say, I I think, this is a good question, Josh Proctor. Uh, Josh Proctor's been a revelation, and I, I thought he was capable of it. I think I was higher on Proctor than some others were coming into the year, but just how sound he's been right away for this defense. He was the answer, or he, at least to this point, he has been the answer at free safety that we said this team needed as early as week one and week two. Obviously, he's only he's played three or four games so far, but I, I just, again, the way he proved it out against the triple option, defending sideline to sideline against the run against Indiana, the way he proved himself defending down the field some against the Western Kentucky's air raid. And then in this game all around, he just, he was sound. He continued to make some plays and didn't give up the big ones against Notre Dame. And those were the questions I had about Ohio state's free safety position entering this year. I think he is probably my uh, biggest surprise uh, for me on the offensive side. The biggest disappointment I think has been Josh Simmons just, uh, what we heard about him, and I think he's still a guy that can get there. I think he's still a guy that 
all the raving we heard about him from the coaching staff about his athleticism and his ceiling and what he can become. He, I, I mean, there are plays where you see it. You see him climb to the second level with some great quickness. You see his agility. You see some things that are really good signs of that tackle position, but just the execution, the penalties, it hasn't been there. It's the same issues that you looked at him coming from San Diego State and you said, hey, he's got some things that are going to need to be solved. And they haven't been yet at the offensive line's biggest position. So offensive line pervasively is, again, still the biggest question mark we have with this team. I think Josh Simmons, as much as anyone, is a guy who needs to take that next step for this offensive line to get where it needs to go. Certainly not writing off that he could do it, but through four weeks, I just haven't seen it from him yet. Both very good answers. Uh, for me, biggest surprise, I'm going to go back to Tyleek Williams. Not not that we didn't think Tyleek Williams had talent, but I'm going to go back to it again about, about Buckeye 20. We did our ballots before the season, and not one member of our staff put him in the top 20. And he might be in the top five this time. So uh, that that just speaks to how good uh, Ty- Tyleek Williams has been. I mean, all, all the hype for those third-year defensive linemen going into the season was on JT Tuomowau and Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall. Nobody was really talking about Tyleek Williams. And Tyleek has been the best guy in that defensive line. And so uh, I'm going to go with him as biggest surprise. And I'm just going to spin that around to biggest disappointment. And we talked about it before. And I think that's a fact that JT Tuomowau and Jack Sawyer don't have any sacks yet. And again, I don't think they're bad, they're bad players, but you know, you're talking about, we saw what Chase Young did in his third year. We saw what, you know, Nick Bosa was going to do before he got hurt in his third year. We saw what Joey Bosa did throughout his Ohio state career. That's the expectation for a pair of guys who are top five overall recruits in their class at defensive end. And they, the reality is we're now four games into their junior year and we still have not seen them ascend to that level. And so I think to me, that's the biggest disappointment in a sense that I really came into this year thinking this is going to be the year we see those guys become stars. And I just don't think that it's happened yet. Uh, I agree with those, uh, both those takes, you know, Tyreek Williams was my second biggest surprise, but I certainly wanted to leave it to you to continue trumpeting your guy. You know, you've been on that Tyreek Williams train, the free 91 all year. Got to give you your props there for seeing it from him. And yeah, I, I, again, I don't want to put Chase Young or a Bosa brother on anyone. That's, that's a super high standard to clear. Those are some of the best defensive ends I've ever seen play college football. I don't need to see that level of production from J.D. Toei Molao or Jack Sawyer. But it would be nice to see Tyquan Lewis. It would be nice to see Sam Hubbard. It would be nice to see someone in that seven to nine sack range at least. And not that sacks are everything, but four games, no sacks is really tough. And you just didn't feel their presence as much in this game either Uh, against the pass rush. You you felt JT at the end, finally making those key plays down the stretch. But uh, again, it's just don't need to be chase younger, Joey or Nick Bosa. Those are super, super high standards to get to. I don't want to put that pressure on a guy, but you got to be again, Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, someone in that vein that is at least 
giving you consistent production and presence week to week. Now, Ohio State basketball had its uh, media days this week. Men's basketball had its media day on Monday. Women's basketball had its media day on Tuesday. Uh, Of course, uh, football is going to continue to be the primary focus here on RealPod Wednesdays uh, through the rest of the season. But uh, the basketball teams have started practice this week. So, you know, very quickly, Andy, you know, just from attending both of those media days, what were maybe your your biggest takeaways from what we heard? Yeah, uh, obviously not as we're running short on time here, so I'll, I'll keep it I'll keep it quick. Uh, first off, uh, I want to start with the women because I think they should be getting more talk. Uh, they have one of the best teams in the country this year. If you don't know, you better find out. There's just so much energy around this team, so much excitement getting J.C. Sheldon back, bringing in Celeste Taylor, bringing in Tyre Parks. They're going to be one of the best half-court defensive teams in the country and transition teams because they have a ton of speed. Um, Celeste Taylor, ACC Defensive Player of the Year last year, adding her to a lineup that was already at the top of the best conference in women's basketball. I mean, I mean, toward the top, obviously, because I was at the top right now of basically the sport but around the area. It's going to really be them in Iowa, it feels like, contending for the conference champion this year after Indiana lost some pieces and you, there's just so much to like about this Ohio State team and what they're going to do defensively. Wouldn't be surprised to see them get some record-setting steal numbers with the defensive pieces they have in the backcourt particularly and back going to what Cody McMahon brings you offensively, what JC's going to bring you offensively. This is just a team to be really excited about if you follow Ohio State basketball for sure. I, I think that they need some attention because they've got a very legit squad coming off of the Elite Eight appearance last year and really only lost one key piece from that team and Taylor Mike Sell. Um, sharp shooting three-pointer, you know, three-point shooter. But I think with the additions they've got, they've got the potential to be even better than last year. On the men's side, obviously, this is a make-or-break season for Chris Holtman in a lot of ways. Coming off a 16-19 and 19 year, a lot of disappointments before making a late-season run in the Big Ten tournament. I think my biggest takeaway is defense is the top focus for this team. They feel like they figured something out at the end of the year offensively, letting Bruce Thornton run the show. Uh, was a freshman last year, now stepping into a much bigger leadership role this year. The team's point guard going to be dictating a lot of things on the offensive end. I think they feel better about their ball movement. They feel good about some of the pieces they have. Um, I do have questions as far as wing scoring, but they addressed a lot of that bringing in Jamison Battle, who was a big transfer to land. I think that he's going to bring you a lot. Uh, how he, whether he's more of a three or a four for this team, might depend on how they plan to use Zed Key, who lost twenty pounds in the offseason, went from about two fifty five to about two thirty five. Feels like he's developed a little more of an outside shot and has upped his athleticism to maybe defend on the perimeter. If you experiment with a lineup that sees him at the four as opposed to the five, as he spent his whole career, and then Felix Akpara at the five, uh, which is. I, something I'd be interested to see. I'm not sure. I would definitely need to see it before I know how much I like it because it's, uh, you know, Zed hasn't shown the ability to defend or play the perimeter at all in his career. And in the modern age of basketball, your four's got to be a guy who can defend toward the perimeter. There's just so many stretch fours in the game now. So does a freshman then factor in? Do you see a Scotty Middleton in particular, but maybe a Devin Royal or a Tayson Chapman become guys that can give you some more production at the three? All those guys are wings this year 
in combination with, I think, you know, Roddy Gale is going to be your two guard, uh, your off guard, taking the momentum he built through the Big Ten tournament into this season. I think I expect him to take another step this year. So a lot going on there in that answer, Dan, I know. Uh, but there were a lot of takeaways to be had from a very lengthy media session with both teams. Uh, and I think the uh, there's, there's some things to be excited about, particularly with the women, but also with the men as basketball season approaches. Yeah, I completely agree with you on the women. I mean, I think they're a legitimate Final Four contender. The Final Four is in Cleveland this season, so how cool would it be if Ohio State was able to play in the Final Four in its home state? That would be uh, pretty awesome, and I, I think they have the team for that to be a realistic goal. It's not going to be easy because, I mean, like Kevin McGuff said on Tuesday, I mean, the, the Big Ten is the best conference in women's college basketball, and so there's going to be a lot of competition there. Uh, there's there's other teams around the country as well that are certainly going to be in that mix. But I think you look at the pieces, both in fact, Ohio State is returning basically everybody who played a key role last year, except for Taylor Mikesell. And to, to be fair, she leaves big shoes to fill. She's a fantastic shooter. But I think with everything they're bringing back, plus the pieces they've added, I, I think this team has the potential to be even better than it was last year. And if it can be even better than it was last year, the final four becomes an attainable goal. So uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what they do this year. And we will certainly try to give them uh, some of the attention that they deserve. And, you know, for me, if a man, like I'm just kind of like, I just really don't know what to expect from this team, to be honest. Like I, I really don't because obviously we saw what happened last year and it was a massive disappointment. And I do think they're going to be better this year than they were last year. I just don't know how much better. You know, does does better mean being a fringe NCAA tournament team, or does better mean being a very solid NCAA tournament team? That I'm just not sure on because I just think there's a you know. Now I thought it was interesting because I kind of go into yesterday thinking there's a lot of unknowns of this team, and then. Chris Holtman, one of the first things he said in his press conference was there's a lot more knowns with this team than there were last year. And so there does seem to be confidence from the coaches and the players that maybe they've got things a little bit more figured out going into this season than they did last year. But I'm in the boat, and I think probably a lot of Ohio State fans were in the boat too after last year, that there's a little bit of we got you got to see it to believe it now with this team. Because I think... You know, there, there's been a lot of years with Chris, under Chris Holtman where the team has entered the year of high expectations and it just hasn't lived up to those expectations. So, you know, the interesting thing is I, I feel like expectations are probably about as low as they've been for Ohio State and Chris Holtman's tenure, except maybe his first year on the job. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that, you know, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily believe in this team, that there's not really pr any high expectations on this team. And, and maybe they end up, you know, pleasantly surprising everybody. I, I do think that they have enough pieces to be a good team. But for me, there's just not enough known commodities of this team in terms of guys who have consistently produced at Ohio State for me to go into this season feeling very confident that this is going to be more of a fringe NCAA tournament team. Yeah, I do think this could possibly be the year you finally see it i think they have the ceiling i'm going to say to um finally be the team that makes a sweet 16 under holtman they have a lot of talent the way they've stacked these last two recruiting classes the question will be do they hit their potential those key pieces you know from the freshman and sophomore classes to 
hit not only, you know, you need that quality starting five, but you need the depth too. And if there's not a freshman starting, which there's a chance there will be, I think particularly at the three, if there's not a freshman starting, there's certainly going to be freshmen that factor into the rotation of this lineup. And uh, do those guys get to where they need to be quick enough for Ohio State to make the NCAA tournament and then actually make a run this year? Well, we hope you enjoyed all of our bi-week talk here on RealPod Wednesdays. No shortage of things to talk about with Ohio State football after that exciting win over Notre Dame. And uh, there will, of course, be no Ohio State football game this weekend. So hope you all enjoy uh, the bye week and we'll be back next week uh, to preview the second month of the season as Ohio State will begin its October slate with Maryland at home next week at noon on Fox. Andy, it's not on Peacock. Ohio State may have a Peacock game at some point this year, but it will not be the Maryland game as originally rumored. So I know that many out there are rejoicing about that, that they don't have to subscribe to Peacock quite yet. So Ohio State, Maryland will get the big noon treatment with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, but I know a lot of people have been looking forward to. And that could be a very interesting game. Maryland playing Indiana this week. I think there's a very good chance they're going to go into next week's game 5-0. and And so while we, we talk about that ramp up to Penn State, Maryland's not going to be a gimme kind of game. That's a team that's capable of, of giving Ohio State another test. And so that's going to be a fun game for sure. And we'll be back next week uh, to look forward to it. Certainly, Dan, I'm uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, again, this this ramp to Penn State and seeing what test Talia Tagovailoa and that Maryland offense provides for this defense again.